Welcome back to the Pineapple Podcast Stories of Infertility. I am Jessica, and today's episode is number 20, and it's called Taryn. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Thanks for being here. No worries. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. You too. Uh, Well, so I'm actually from South Africa, uh, living here in Australia. Uh, My husband's from Canada. Um, So we met in 2013 uh, down at the Gold Coast in, um, I guess, close to Brisbane. And um, yeah, we got married in 2016. I'm a flight attendant and he runs his own company. Um, I know for myself, we, I really wanted to have kids. Um, Of course, my husband wanted to start a family, but we... For him, he was okay if we didn't have children. So um, for me, I was obviously fighting, not a lot harder, but I really wanted to start a family and we obviously didn't realise that we were going to have any issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it was sort of... um, It was just a question as to how we were going to, like how far we were going to go to achieve having a family. You know, I was open, you know, to adoption um, and all these other things where he hadn't really thought about that at that point. He just thought we would have our own kids. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, definitely brought up some new challenges once we actually started to try um, for a family. Mm -hmm. What was that? What was that like? Like, what was the starting to try process like for you guys? So uh, we started trying sort of the month after we got married. Uh, we just, you know, started normally having no. I actually didn't have contraception for um, five years uh, because the pill didn't agree with me. So we were just careful around ovulation time. Um, so we just, yeah, we got married and we started trying just normal, um, you know, just around ovulation. And so, yeah, it went for a few months where I was like, you know, nothing's happening, you know, and you start to think, you know, you start to question why isn't it happening? Um, and so I went to our, just like a normal GP and um, he basically was like, no, don't worry, you're young, you're fine, just keep on trying type of thing. And so in my mind, I was just like, okay, um, you know, maybe I'm just not doing my ovulation correctly. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. missing my day. So I started like trying to, um, I tried the ovulation test a few times, which they never really worked for me. Mm. And um, then I started the temperature taking and that was just hard in itself because, you know, remembering to wake up every morning, take your temperature, I'd put it in the graphs and then I'd be like, am I seeing it correctly in the graphs? You know, is that a high? Is, you know, with your temperature going up and down. Right. So, yeah, it was just, I guess, the early days was, you know, just waiting a year because no one really takes you seriously within that year, you know? I was going to ask if you guys have that same kind of requirement as we do where they won't really talk to you about anything unless it's been a year. 
Yeah, um, I think it depends on a doctor. Um, I was going through sort of like just our male GP um, at the time. And in his mind, he was like, no, you're young, you're fine, don't even stress. And then I later on having the conversation with my female doctor, she was like, no, six months, she likes to get all of just the blood work done, you know, just to see if anything comes up abnormal. Um, so basically at 12 months, I went to, um, I went back to him and I said, look, like something's not right. I want to go and see a specialist. And so basically I got a referral for um, the specialist. I went over to um, the city and he, I actually just went by myself thinking like no issues type of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he went over a few things, you know, he asked me a few questions about my period, like were they painful and stuff. And I, me, I just didn't ever know, like, what's the severity of a painful period. Um, so he, his first thing was, he said, we'll do like the AMH test, the anti-million hormone test. Mm-hmm. And um, basically he did like an internal exam and he's like, no, I don't think you've got endo. And um, he basically just went through some steps with me saying, um, you know, you can either go for like a HSG, which is the hysteriogram saline where they flush your tubes and do like an ultrasound on your uterus, or you can go for a laparoscopy. Uh, but basically because he went through, like, because he did the internal and he was like, I don't think you have it. I wasn't going to fork out the money for this um, surgery. So I just decided to go for the HSG um, in, in the December. Mm. So I went for the HSG um, and he literally, I was just reading my exam now. It was basically um, clear tubes, you know, no, um, no abnormalities, nothing. Um, even said uh, no, like, edemiosis. I think that's like a form of endometriosis. Mm. And um, so, yeah, basically he said there's, there's nothing showing me that you can't fall pregnant. Um, that's what he said to me. And so um, after that my um, fertility specialist had, uh, he sent me to go and do a blood test for the AMH test. Mm -hmm. And I decided not to go back to him to get the results. I decided to just go back to my normal GP just to get the results. And um, he basically said to me that it was 3.3 Australian. Uh, I think that equates to 0.3. 462 in the US. So um, very, very low egg count. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so basically when I got those results, um, I knew that I had to go to back to a fertility specialist and sort of work out what we were going to do next type of thing. How was getting that information for you? What was that like? Devastating. I, I probably like... I remember like I got the results and my doctor didn't, it was almost like he knew he had done 
like wronged by me like he knew because he had told me my gp had told me don't worry you're young you're fine right and he was it almost like he tried to like uh move past it very quickly and i was like just tell me those results again and i just broke down and i remember walking back to the car and i literally i couldn't even like i couldn't even drive home i just phoned my i phoned my mom and i was like I literally have an egg count. I was 28 at the time. And um, like I had an egg count of 40, someone who is 45. Wow. So yeah, it was devastating. Yeah. Um, that, that was the worst, the worst news. And so moving forward, I sort of knew in the back of my mind that I wasn't just going to fall pregnant easily, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you, did yeah. you think you were going to need to do like did you think okay now i have like all these things i'm gonna have to do or oh it's just gonna be a little bit harder yeah um no in the back of my mind i sort of thought i'm gonna have to do ivf Mm. um but i sort of had to hear it from the fertility specialist just to confirm it um Mm -hmm. yeah it was it's i knew going into the appointment that that was going to be the outcome but you almost just have to hear it to believe it. And I actually yeah. couldn't, my mom, my mom fell pregnant like first, first month each baby. And so when we started trying in my mind, I just thought it would be easy for us. I right. never, I never in a million years thought I would be doing IVF. Like it was just so foreign to me at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, um, that was the, so we started trying in 2016 and this was 2017, December. So we'd be trying for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And that's basically when I started my infertility journey. Uh, so we went to the um, fertility specialist in December and he basically said to us that I had less than 5% chance of falling pregnant. Um, He said, you have less than 5% chance of falling pregnant naturally. um, And he recommends doing IVF from here on. So basically my husband and I just had to, you know, go home, think about it. Like IVF's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, so in Australia, you set your your super, like your retirement money to pay for medical um, procedures. So we went through the process of um, accessing that money to pay for our IVF. Um, and we started IVF in March. So that was our first, our first um, procedure that we did. Um, so I'll just go through like a few um so we went through two rounds um in march we did our first ivf um we got five eggs and zero fertilized so that to me uh when like when we got the phone call the next day that wasn't even it hadn't even crossed my mind that we could pay all this money for ivf and literally have zero fertilization the next day um, so I was like, I've gone through two weeks of injections and hormones and paid all this money and literally ended up with nothing. 
-hmm. And so for me during IVF, that was the, the hardest thing was the emotional side of things, just your highs and lows of, you know, one minute you have hope and then the next minute it's all gone, you know? Yeah. Um, so we went back to him basically for our post IVF chat and um, he just recommended, no, let's just go in for another round. So we went in for another round in April and basically we got four eggs and to this time we decided to do um, the first round we did uh, ICSI on all of them. And this round we decided to do, so two natural and two ICSI. And we got three fertilized with two embryos that lasted to day five. Um, and we managed to transfer one embryo. Um, unfortunately, that one didn't take. So I had another embryo on ice and he said, no, let's go two weeks later, like not two weeks later, but my next cycle, let's mm -hmm. do that. And basically we were um, on our way to the hospital for that transfer. And that one was a failed thaw as well. So yeah, it was just like all these days that, you know, you have so much hope and then to literally end up with nothing yeah um yeah it was devastating so yeah it was yeah it was just sort of hard to it's hard to move forward when you have so many setbacks yeah definitely yes yeah, so basically we after that we had a little break um we found a new specialist and and um, yeah, in the July, we went to the new specialist and he basically said to us that his first thing that he always does is a laparoscopy. He said like, um, he'll go in, investigate, um, you know, see what's going on. And um, so we didn't obviously have any more super money. So this would be coming out of our own pocket because we didn't have private health at the time. Mm. And, um, yeah, so we decided to go for the laparoscopy, which was in the September. And, um, yeah, so we did the laparoscopy and they found severe endometriosis. So wow. I'd literally had this disease, like, all over my bladder, my ovaries. That, to, like, from my understanding, that's what affected my egg count was mm. the endo everywhere and so yeah he removed everything um yeah I think I was just grateful at the time just to you know have a reason as to what was causing my infertility like why why did I have no eggs you know why hadn't yeah. I fallen pregnant um so yeah it was it was a good to have um answers but at the same time I knew that this disease had literally sort of destroyed all my fertility organs, you know? How was that? Because your first doctor said, no, you don't have it. So yeah. that is so hard too, because then you're like, if I had known this however yeah. long before. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I hard. think 
in the medical world, you just, you know, you want to almost trust your doctor and, you know, like you, the medical person, I need to believe everything you're saying. You know, my first GP was like, you're young, you're fine. My second doctor was like, I don't suspect you have it. And so for me, I was almost like, I've listened to you and this is why I've gone through how many rounds of IVF. Because even my, so I went through um, the first specialist. He was the one that, you know, sent me for the AMH test. I actually never went back to him. I found a new specialist. And so this was a second doctor that was still not thinking, okay, this woman might have endometriosis. Let's do a laparoscopy prior to um, starting IVF. It was just, oh no, let's just, you know, jump straight into IVF, not actually figure out like the course. Right. And so, yeah, we, um, yeah, we, I guess we we're just almost in shock that, um, you know, we had paid all this money and done two rounds of IVF. And now we've done the surgery and we figured out what was causing my low egg quality, um, you know, because I'd done two rounds of IVF and literally nothing had happened. Right. And so, yeah, my, my new specialist that I really liked, he did suggest to do a third round of IVF. Um, you know, basically just after your laparoscopy, he um, just said, you know, you've had a good clean out. Um, you know, give it one cycle and then let's go for another round of IVF. So, yeah, we decided, okay, let's, you know, give it, you know, one last third try. And, um, yeah, so we, we started that IVF and basically um, my body just wasn't responding as well as what it had done the previous two rounds. My, like, my follicles weren't growing mm. Like from my previous rounds, they were just growing really well. And this round, they were just not responding to the medication. And basically, he just kept upping my dose um, of the FSH, the follicle stimulating hormone. Like, so I went from, I think, 400 to 450. And then he boosted me up to like 600. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was, just, I was like, I'm like, I was just like, am I destroying the quality of my eggs? You know, I was just, right. I knew he was a good, he is a good specialist, but I was just in the back of my mind. I'm like, how is this even, you know? Yeah. So basically from that round, we only ended up with four eggs. Um, I, I actually grew new um, follicles. So previously my follicles were like five and six. I think they were sitting at seven and eight, this one. Mm. So I grew new follicles, but I only still, I only got four eggs with, with that one. So I was, yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty devastated when I found that out. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so basically when we did egg pickup, we did the intralipids as well, which is the, um, it's basically, uh, it's, how do I explain it? It's like a, they put you on a drip and it just, like calms your body down with like mm. your natural killer cells and stuff. So I did that after my um, egg pickup and yeah, basically waited a few days and found out that zero had fertilized again. Oh my gosh. So it was just like one thing after another. 
Yeah. So, yeah, we, after that, you know, because I always said in my mind at the beginning, how many rounds of IVF would I do to achieve a baby? Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, I was like, I can do six rounds. Like, that's how many I can do. And after this third round, it, it literally, like, destroyed me. Like, I couldn't even, I was like, how do I, how do I keep going? You know, like, how do I keep getting bad news type of thing? Yeah. And how was, um, how yeah. was your, how was your husband processing all this with you as well? So, yeah, it was, it was hard because he was there for me for everything. Like he, um, he went to every appointment. Um, like I honestly couldn't have asked for a better support network, but at the same time, he was okay if we didn't have any children. So Mm -hmm. like now, I mean, you would speak to him now that we have one and he, you know, his mind would be like, his decision would be different. Right. But at the time of fighting for a child, he's like, don't worry, like, it's okay, you know, if we don't have any children. And I was like, no, like, I can't go through life without a family. Like, I've wanted a family since I was a young girl. Um, I will fight till I've, everything I've got, I'll fight. But, yeah, after this third round of IVF, I just emotionally, I was like, how do I... How do I carry on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that happened in November. And, um, yeah, so I think we just decided, like, just to have a break. Um, I had been, from the last round of IVF, I was doing, like, um, not a diet, but just clean eating. No alcohol, mm-hmm. no caffeine, um, no basically carbs or anything. I was just protein, vegetables, superfoods, heaps of water. And yeah, so we just decided to have a break. And um, yeah, the sort of, it was, I, I had hope the whole time. Like I'd never lost my hope, but I just had this like feeling almost this one day and I was like, go and buy a pregnancy test. And I'm like, come on, Taryn, like you've literally bought hundreds of pregnancy tests. Like, don't be silly. And um, at the time I was working at a cafe with my sister and we just, we didn't have a heavy conversation, but we just had a conversation of, would you be open to donating some eggs to me? So my sister doesn't have children. So it wasn't like a serious conversation. It was just, would you be open to it? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think she would actually consider it. Um, So that was the conversation we literally had that day. And um, I had put my name down for embryo donations. I was looking in the States. I I was just trying to get, you know, I was just trying to see how would I achieve my family, you know, I was looking at adoption agencies and it was just breaking my heart to see like how expensive everything was. And I was in my mind, I was just like, how are we going to afford this? How are we going to afford a family? You know, I'd literally just paid for like three IVF cycles, 
laparoscopy, I was like, we probably don't have anything left, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I just had a feeling. So I walked into the chemist and I looked at a pregnancy test and I was like, no, Taryn, you're stupid. Like just, I literally picked it up, went and stood to pay for it. And I was like, no, go put it back on the shelf. Went and put it back on the shelf and I left and I went home. And anyway, so I got home that day and I was just, we actually, me and my husband got in a little bit of an argument, just like, how are we going to have a family? You know, you have to be open to my sister donating us eggs. You have to be open to something else. Like, I I can't just give up, you know? And um, yeah, so basically, um, we had a fight and I said, I'm going to go and buy laundry detergent. And so I got in my car, I went to the chemist and I went and bought myself a pregnancy test. So I'm actually getting quite emotional. <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, so I went to the pharmacy, I bought a pregnancy test and um, came home, took it and I saw two positive lines. And that was the first positive, like, positive test I'd ever had, you know. So I literally, like, I started screaming. And I was always wanting to, like, surprise my husband. Like, we'd gone on holidays and I was like, yep, going to fall pregnant. I'm going to surprise him this way. This is how I'm going to tell my husband when I get the news. And I literally remember, like, screaming. And I was like, Brandon, like, come here and I just literally fell to the ground and I was like I'm pregnant and it happened naturally and I promised like yeah it was the best day of my life yeah it was yeah so yeah and then you know you get those positive lines and you're like oh like it's funny you want to achieve the pregnancy but then the fear kicks in I'm like how am I going to keep this pregnancy you know like my body's never done this before. And so, yeah, I just contacted my fertility specialist and I was like, I'm pregnant. And um, he put me on progesterone, which I took till 12 weeks. And um, yeah, so basically went for a scan every week because I just needed that reassurance of like, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. It's not a lie. Um, yeah, and so basically nine months later, we gave birth to a little boy, Hudson. Um, I Honestly, I still look at him to this day and I say, say to my husband, like, I can't believe I grew a baby. Like, I just, for like so many, two and a half years, I just thought my body would not ever be able to achieve it, you know, so... Yes, yeah, so he's just he's just the biggest blessing in our life. Yeah, Aww. it's pretty pretty special. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, like how I know it's so interesting because like a friend of mine, she kind of went through the same thing where she went through three rounds of IVF, um, and and ended up with twins, and then was like, okay, well that took us so long, so we're done, and then ended yeah. up getting pregnant naturally. And so now has yeah. three kids and it's just wild how sometimes that happens. I don't know what it is and why, but yeah, it's amazing. I think, and I think for me, I just wish, um, you know, and that's sort of why I want to speak about it more, you know, just with regards to endometriosis, it's yeah. such a, you know, women find out about it 10 years after having it. 
and by then all the damage is done you know like you it it just destroys your ovaries and so for me I think you know what you know my sort of outlook on life is doctors should be instead of you know giving young girls the pill being like why do you have pain let's investigate this so you know women can be sorting it out in their teenage years so that you know by the time they want to have children they're not having these issues of having to go through you know IVF and the chance of not having it having a family you know so yeah go back to finding out that you had endometriosis I'm curious if you had like now knowing that you had it after they found it did it make sense like looking back at your like when you were going through puberty and when you got your period and when you were younger that it made sense that okay yeah I think yes I think basically um with with period pain um you know it's so often you know you have all this painkillers and it says period pain and so for you you think period pain is normal and my understanding is that what I've heard from specialists is that you shouldn't, it shouldn't be a painful thing. And so I think when specialists are asking you, like, is it painful? Do you have pain to actually make sure that you're understanding that it shouldn't be painful. And, you know, now that I think back on my period, like, yes, I took, you know, painkillers every single month. But the, t- the times that I didn't have it, I, it was actually really painful. Like I couldn't sleep from it. And so that should have mm. triggered some sort of, there's something wrong. Not that this is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, over the years, so the endometriosis was on my bladder as well. And I would have painful, you know, I'd almost feel like I would have a bladder infection. Mm. and it would happen a lot and I just think oh and you know it just takes some mural I've got a bladder infection but it could have been the scar tissue on my bladder that was causing this pain right and so I think as women you just need to you know if something's not feeling right in your body you know just be your own medical advocate and just being like something's not right um I need to look into it until someone actually listens to me rather than just oh, no, you're fine. Here, have some medication. You know, I think medication, you know, it's not a bad thing, but it sometimes needs to be looked at further, not just sort of numbing the pain type of thing, you know? Yeah. Did you notice a difference in that next cycle after they did the surgery and, like, cleaned everything out? Yeah, it wasn't that painful. I haven't actually, since I've only had the one... Um, period since that um that was the period I got pregnant mm. um so I've actually not had a cycle to know what it's going to be like mm-hmm. but from my understanding is that pregnancy and um breastfeeding sort of ki- like it calms it down so it doesn't actually mm. grow during that period so yeah it'd be interesting to see moving forward like what it'll be like and you know if it'll grow back and all stuff but yeah just I I see a lot of girls because I'm on a lot of forums of like low AMH and I just want every you know woman out there to know like if like there's something causing this you don't just lose your egg count you know 
overnight you know there's something that's happening in your body and so for me i just wish you know for, when i speak to women about infertility i say make sure you do investigating before you go to ivf like mm -hmm. ivf is good but i feel like there's so much that you can investigate prior to that like make sure you yourself know like you've done all everything natural you've done all these steps prior to IVF because I feel like you have like IVF is expensive and you only have so much money to do it so it should sort of be like you're not your last resort but just know that you've taken these steps so that when you do IVF you you're giving it your absolute best chance that yeah. you're going to have a good outcome from it you know not right. like for me we we jumped straight into IVF and so we've done three rounds in one year and I was just like now we've got nothing left you know so right. yeah and yeah. the thing is it's a, it's a learning curve like you 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 learn as you go you know it's a very it, it's a hard journey to go through um infertility um yeah so i just i reach out to a lot of women um the loneliness of infertility as well mm. i just yeah i remember um you know sitting in my car and i just wanted to listen to women that were going through the same journey as me and just having a community of um women to to talk to you know so yeah yeah um, were there any are there any resources now that you've, you mentioned forums, um, just with good information, maybe about endometriosis that for somebody who's maybe going through that can, can check out or anything you found helpful? Yeah. So on Instagram, there's, um, a lady that started like endometriosis Australia. Hmm. Um, so just creating awareness about it. Um, I'm pretty sure our government's also putting a lot more money into research about it. Um, in one of our states, they're actually starting to do um, basically like a trial of trying to find endo through ultrasound. So oh, teaching wow. technicians how, what to look for. Um, because, I mean, I went through, when I went for my HSG, which was, you know, medical doctor he didn't suspect anything mm -hmm. and so i think they're trying to train people how to look for it instead of going under the knife you know because it's, it's yeah. quite a drastic thing to be like you know i'm going to pay six thousand dollars to pay for the surgery and they can come out being like yeah sorry we didn't find anything you know it's a lot right. of money yeah um yeah so definitely there's i think a lot of women finding out about it um, and just through Instagram, sharing their stories. And, you know, one woman might look at that and be like, that's my symptoms. And so I think it's just growing awareness through community of women, just mm -hmm. talking to each other about it instead of it being all hush, hush, you know, let's not talk about our fertility. Let's not talk about our problems. Um, yeah. I think just letting women know that it's okay. Do you yeah. feel like you still have the, do you notice like the anxiety of infertility or like those fears still coming up for you, even though you have your son? Yeah. So, um, we are, we obviously would, would love another baby. 
And so um, I'm obviously still breastfeeding. So in the back of my mind, I know like breastfeeding stops ovulation. I haven't had a period, but I said to my husband, I can almost feel it's a bit of like post-traumatic stress Mm. um, of what I went through. Having my son like literally like healed my soul. Like I'll be grateful if, if it's just the three of us, I, I'm so grateful, you know, to God that we have our family. But I'd obviously love to give him a brother or a sister. And so, yeah, now like month to month, I almost feel that want for another baby and I can feel the fear of will I fall pregnant? Will it happen again? We'll probably never go through IVF or anything again to achieve another sibling. Um, I feel like if it happens, that's it's meant to be. But um, yeah, definitely, I feel like yeah, the infertility it's a, it's a trauma that you go through, and mm-hmm. yeah, I guess. It's like my son healed me, but it's still, it's a part of you. It's a part yeah. of who you are. It's, it's changed me, you know? Totally. So yeah, I get, I get a bit emotional when I talk about it. Yeah, no, I totally understand. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It does change you. It changes how you think about things. It changes yeah. how you think about others. And yeah, totally. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's why I just, you know, when I hear of women going through my journey, I just will do anything for them, you know, just pop over some flowers. Um, of the days that I had bad news from IVF, like flowers from friends meant the world to me because you just, like I knew that they were a part of my journey and that they were thinking of me um, because it's very lonely, especially when, you know, your friends start popping out babies and you just like people don't ask you the questions anymore because they don't they they don't want they want to know but they don't want to put that pressure on you you know so Mm -hmm. you know just a small thing of flowers just reassures you that you know I'm thinking of you um you know we don't have to talk about it but you know you loved and we're here for you type of thing Mm mm-hmm yeah. Were you so. pretty so it sounds like you were pretty open then with your friends. Yeah. About it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was open from the beginning because you know, I was like, Oh yeah, we're trying for a family and yeah. thinking I would just fall pregnant. And I never I never assumed that we, we would struggle. And so yeah, I was open from the beginning. Um I guess for me, talking about it helped me. Um, I probably, you know, sometimes I'm a flight attendant. So sometimes at work I'd speak about it and then people's reactions or comments would upset me. And so I probably, not that I stopped talking about it, but I would sort of gauge who I would talk to about it. You know, the comments of, oh, it's stress, Um, you know, like, you, you would know in the fertility world, like there's so many things that stop you from falling pregnant. Stress is definitely not number one. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was pretty, I was open about it from the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, I think 
going after you know one bad cycle to the next it got harder and then you feel order like not shame but just you know why am why does my body not work you know like this is the most natural thing that is you know meant to happen i thought falling pregnant was meant to be easy mm-hmm. and it's it's not easy you know so yeah it was just yes yeah, not shame but just yeah i just felt like i didn't belong almost you know like you'd be around all these women you know talk mm-hmm. about kids and stuff and you're just like where do where do i fit in you know if i don't have kids to talk about you know what's our common ground type of thing yeah and so you feel like you almost lose a bit of your identity um through going like when you just want to be a mom and like I was never a career person so I mean I didn't have this career now I'm not becoming a mom like where do I fit in in the world you know so it's almost like I'm 30 and I feel like I've lost myself type of thing you know so yeah it was just going through like the trauma of the fertility and then trying to find myself as a person and what I wanted to do and everything. So yeah, it's just, it was a big year last, not last year yet, the year before 2018, 2019. Yeah. Big years for me. Um, So yeah. How, how did like going through IVF? Because I think some people maybe who haven't gone through it, don't really understand like how time consuming it is. And I feel like with your, with your job, like your schedule is so different that was that really hard to, or were you still working throughout all those cycles? Yeah, it was really, it was really stressful. Um, being a flight attendant, um, and just, so basically, I mean, you would understand your injections have to be at the same time. And my rostering was, you know, some mornings, 5am, 6am, 7am. And so my work, they were very accommodating. They would put me on part-time. So the days that I, I, I used so much sick leave because the days that I had to just do one blood test at six in the morning, I'd have to go sick a whole day. Um, You know, I could have gone to work afterwards had I been in office, but you know, I can't go for a blood test and be like, Oh, hold that flight, you know? um, Luckily my work, they were very, it was, it was stressful because, it's sort of, I feel like IVF is not, not becoming more popular, but more girls are coming through it. And so our procedures, they didn't have any procedures for women going through infertility. It was just like, well, this is your job. This is what you do. And so luckily I got um, sort of like compassionate part-time the months that I did IVF, but still um, there were still a few days that um, I had to go to work and I would, you know, be injecting myself in the bathroom injecting myself on the plane and yeah it was hard emotionally because you have to put on a brave face in front of all these people and um you know you're literally giving yourself an injection in the bathroom and then opening the door and putting a smile on your face and so emotionally yeah it was it was hard I remember um especially being in customer service, I got the bad news the one day and went to work the next day. And I couldn't even look at people like, because I would literally just break down 
And so I'd go to work, get what I had to, you know, get done. But if someone that I knew would look at me, I'd literally just walk the other direction because I didn't want to like literally break down in public, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was really hard um, going through it, like especially in the job that I was in. Um, so I decided to go part-time um, sort of at the end of 2018. I just, I spoke to my husband and I said, financially, it's really going to affect us. But I said, I can't, keep doing this and still flying full-time I was just I, I just couldn't and um yeah so I, well with falling pregnant two months later really you know you sort of want to work your hardest to provide for your family and then you know you go part-time but yeah we just we just have to I guess you just learn to live without fancy things and stuff and mm-hmm. I guess having a baby we just you know, we just give them our love and yeah, we've just, we've just made it work, you know. Are you pretty active on Instagram? Yeah. Um, so my Instagram's Hey Tazzy. Um, I'll probably send you some photos. Yeah. If you want to put that up on your Instagram. Um, I'm happy for you to, I, I've actually got a little, not that I'm a YouTuber, I just did one YouTube story uh, video just to share my journey. And so that's in my bio. Um, Okay. Yeah. And I've had random women say, wow, thank you for, you know, sharing what you've gone through just so they can have a look. I'll definitely Um, put that in, in there so people can find it. Yeah. Taryn, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. I hope everybody listening enjoyed. Remember that you can follow along on my Instagram, which is at the underscore pineapple podcast. And on there, you'll see pictures of the guests and a little bit more about their story, as well as uh, their links to their profiles for you to see. If you are listening on Apple podcasts, please leave a review and a rating. It will help me reach more people and ultimately allow me to share more stories. Thank you guys so much. I hope you all have an amazing week wherever you are, and I'll see you next week.